This episode sponsored by Claydom. If you build on Salesforce, you know writing secure code can be really hard. Claydom makes it easy for you. Claydom plugs into your Git repos in seconds and automatically protects you from hundreds of security vulnerabilities such as CRUD FLS violations, code injections, vulnerable third-party libraries, and more. Claydom works with GitHub, Bitbucket. GitLab and Azure DevOps. Go to getclayton.com/salesforceway to get one month of secure development essentials for free. It's getclayton.com/salesforceway. You can also find the link in our show notes. Clayton, build on Salesforce, stay secure. <laughs> Hi, this is a continuation from the last episode. But still, you know, talking about the Apex language since we're here, people are saying that still it feels like a Java 1.1 from the syntax point of view. A lot of time we need to work with the map, work with that's the not fair. Collection. It's more okay. like Java 1.5. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, you know the you, point, right? <laughs> you're right, and and、mm. part of that was during the compiler rollout, which was a four year process.、Mm-hmm. The success criteria for the compiler rollout was that the old and new compilers produce identical bytecode. Okay. So trying to add new features to the language would have actually been counterproductive for getting the compiler to finish.、Mm. Um, when the compiler did finish, we rolled out Switch, which was one that people had been asking for for. Twelve years, something like that. Yes, yes.、Uh, but we need to do more, absolutely. And part of that's on me. In fact, a large part of that's on me. That the issues I've seen with Apex in the wild, and the ones I've struggled with personally in my time being a customer and a partner, I thought security needed attention much more urgently. Language expressiveness is hugely important, but. If the language is highly expressive, if we added generics and did them as a first-class citizen, but you still had to have this copy and paste describe-centric security model,、mm-hmm. how much are we really helping language expressiveness? If we don't give you effective baseline tools for things that you already have to put into your code and do in a painful way, you still have this, these blocks of copy and paste FLS checks.、Mm. I don't think that that was the right priority, relatively. And I think I generics are incredibly powerful. I, I worked on the Financial Force open source libraries for a while, and not having <laughs> generics made me want to rip out my hair a couple times. So I, <laughs> this is not to discount the power of generics and language expressiveness features. It's to say that I thought other things needed the attention more urgently. Understand. Asynchronous processing did not have effective feedback mechanisms, so we put out batch Apex error events so you could at least tell what records failed when there was an unhandled exception in a batch job. If there was a gap before, your choices were to guess or to just be sad. Like that, that's not good enough. Transaction finalizers are trying to do the same thing for cubables and potentially future, potentially scheduled. We'll see how that goes.、Mm-hmm. But this this fire and forget with no feedback, paired with a platform that tends to be the system of record, was something that concerned me deeply. I understand. Yeah, how、okay. can we be the system of record if we don't have? A more robust system for handling failures and understanding what the failures were, and so, yeah, between security and, and that, like I, I had to prioritize those two, and I, 
I couldn't see an argument for language expressiveness while those were still sitting there in need of attention. And now that we're working through more of these fundamental issues and there's the state of security on the platform in, in Apex is not the end state of where I would like it to be. Um, but it's no longer in a state that it needs urgent attention. It's something that we can continue to iterate on and continue to improve, but it's no longer the top pain point of every partner I talk to. Yeah, I heard you. Believe me, I heard you, and the people also heard you, so we understand. I was thinking about one thing to support from the Salesforce point of view to officially support some good open source libraries so that it grow much healthier and uh, you know get more people to use that is is this a good idea yes so i actually just uh, stepped up as a maintainer for the esapi library because the old maintainer left so if you if you're not familiar with it no. it's a library that salesforce product security put out as the original field and object level security recommended library because okay. even salesforce hated doing the manual field and object level checks through describes so the product security group put out a open source apex library uh, uh, and a lot of partner apps use it because it was the officially blessed tool by product and app exchange security review for a while. Um, and so I, I took it over as one of the maintainers along with my product security rep because it needed mm. some love. And so mm. definitely open source Apex is really important. I'm really excited about packaging too because it makes it a lot easier to handle versioning and dependencies on libraries. You're talking about the second generation li library? Or yeah, second generation, second generation packaging. Package. Okay. The fact that it's going to have support for putting multiple packages in the same namespace means that as an ISV partner, you could put your library code and two consumers of it as three different packages. Whereas historically, you'd really end up copying and pasting your library code into both of those packages because they couldn't coexist in the same namespace and you wouldn't want that library code to be global necessarily. So this, this happened in a large number of partners that I've been at and seen code from, where the way you include a library is by copying and pasting it into each consumer. Exactly. So second generation packaging, I think, improves that experience substantially. Mm. Um, but I think you're talking also about like open source Java libraries, not Apex as well, right? Mm, not really. I don't care about okay. Java at the moment. <laughs> Mainly it's Apex. But because when I touch in some other modern languages, uh, most of them, they have their uh, package management tool, like NPM for JavaScript, right? Yep. Haskell has its own, Clojure has its own. But for Apex, is second generation packaging really the tool to manage the libraries? I think it's a, a big step forward. And I'm it is, it is. going to pay very close attention to the feedback we get as it rolls out. Hmm. And also talk to the CLI team because I think for the first time in Salesforce history, we have a unified CLI based approach to hmm. managing projects holistically instead of each feature team kind of having their own different metadata API representation without a common tool chain. Yeah. And with second generation packaging being a lot more flexible in this area, I think there's a lot of new, new opportunities here. Hmm. I don't have a specific vision in mind right now for what you're talking about, like NPM imports or something like that. Yeah, um, okay. But I do think it's really important. When I was on the App Exchange team, it was something I spent a lot of time talking about, how at some point there needs to be a tool like this. Yeah. But I think that we're still building some of the, the prerequisite elements right now. Mm. And towards the end of this year, next year, I'm guessing it'll be something that I spend a lot more thought on. 
I don't have a specific vision yet, but I think I will. People will pin me again to it to yeah, remind no, you. <laughs> good. I, I, okay. A lot of really interesting features have started that way. I mean, transaction finalizers spun out of a comment Dan Appleman made to Stephen Tam at Meet the Developers three years ago. So yeah, okay. Like, offhanded comments do sometimes turn into something material. So send them. I'm interested. Okay. Cool. I wanted to also、uh, share some pains that I've had, and also some my past、uh, guests today told me things to ask you. Oh, my favorite part. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Talking to developers, right? <laughs> yeah. People want to have annotation or a certain way to distinguish the unit test, the integration test, or large data volume test. Do you think that's a good idea? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Okay.、Uh, Is the, it in the, the roadmap? The testing system in Apex is something that I like. The, the foundational elements, the fact that you could have this testing infrastructure that guarantees everything is isolated, is wonderful. You heard me talk about how critical Hammer is to our efforts, and so I'm very selfishly incentivized to get people to write better tests because it helps my my product be more successful in the wild from Hammer.、Mm. Um, and we definitely. Haven't put as much investment into the test infrastructure lately as I would like because we've been focusing on asynchronous and stability and security.、Hmm. And I think it's time we need to take at least a we need to take a look at what we can do realistically without major roadmap disruption. And I think that that's the type of thing that is very reasonable. We're not making a major alteration to the runtime. We're not making a major alteration to the test siloing capability. We're just adding a tagging mechanism and trying to enrich、exactly. execution APIs. Yeah,、um, I do have to go and argue with a couple people on my team who are really passionate about testing about、uh, if that、okay. beats out the relative priority of something else that we had looked at, looked at, which is parameterized tests. So inside of Salesforce, we have a lot of tests where we want to run the test on every permutation of some kind of thing.、Mm-hmm. So. You may or may not have heard of metadata completeness, the the effort to make sure that everything that's in Salesforce has a metadata API representation. So、mm-hmm. all of those preferences that are only available in the setup UI are properly、ah. exposed in the metadata API. Right, right, right. The community、yes. team in in Spring. No manual work. Out, no manual work. Exactly. The community team just put out a true source controllable representation of Lightning communities in Spring. That's cool. So there's been a lot of work to try and and close those gaps,、mm-hmm. and one of the ways that was implemented internally is the metadata team wrote a parameterized test inside Salesforce in our proprietary homegrown test system that said for every attribute of an org that can be changed, they're called org preferences internally. For every、mm-hmm. org pref that can be set by a customer, generate a test failure if it does not have a metadata representation. So they just assign these thousands of test failures out to everybody and said, "Fix it." <laughs> and that same type of thing holds true in Apex tests. For every type of field, I want to make sure that this test code passes. And you can do that today with a lot of copy and paste or a loop, but you get lower fidelity feedback in those tests.、Mm-hmm. You'd write one test that handles all those cases, and then you get feedback on the first case that fails. You don't know if you broke ten cases or one. Mm-hmm. And so, parameterized tests. Since we've used them so much, I've seen a lot of value come out of them as a way of doing different permutation testing with higher fidelity results. Is one of the other things that we have been talking about doing in the relatively near term. That's、um, cool. 
So that, that's the type of quality of life testing stuff that absolutely uh, I'm very interested in because it's not as intensely disruptive to other aspects of the platform and the roadmap as some other things that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And I think that especially when we find ones that are easy to implement and impactful, it's really hard to justify not just doing it. Mm. Okay. I want to use this time since we're talking about Apex testing. What are the good strategies for effective maintainable apex unit tests could you teach us without uh-huh. using you know third-party libraries that's a wild question because it, it is because because so i know inherently... you hate the people use the i plus <laughs> plus oh god i don't want to talk <laughs> about it anymore Make it stop. yeah that's the thing but do we need to you know we need to the the, the senior guys to, to teach us what are the good ways at least there's some some points right yeah, I mean, a lot of the, the good testing practices in Apex aren't unique to Apex. If you look mm. at good testing practices anywhere, it's write tests that run quickly. But Mock out hard. dependencies yeah. when you can. I think that that's actually one of the bigger ones is when you can avoid interacting with the database at scale, your tests will run substantially faster. The mm-hmm. slowest aspect of most Apex tests is how much time is spent writing to the database and rolling back transactions. So when possible, write code such that you can do unit testing instead of integration testing through the full save order cycle. Write a handful of test methods that make sure that your trigger does what you expect it to through DML operations, but then write all of the permutation and edge case testing that invokes the trigger handler directly without going through the save order cycle so that you don't have that extra latency and overhead for database writes and rollbacks. Because the biggest issue I've seen at scale is people saying their tests take too long, and so they don't run them as often as they should. I think that goes back to your point about being able to tag tests as unit versus functional versus scale. Yeah. Um, and so I think you're increasingly convincing me that that's something that's worth prioritizing yeah. <laughs> the longer this conversation goes <laughs> <Yeah, it's> on. <laughs> but that, I mean, that's a really important one, is making sure your tests run fast enough so that you can actually use that feedback. Hmm. Um, scratch orgs help set up a CI environment with scratch orgs. Like, no brainer. Mm. It used to be a lot harder to give recommendations about how to run tests at scale. Mm. If you're not running your tests every day in a scratch org right now, you're missing out. That, that's that's kind of like table stakes as far as I'm concerned for good testing strategy. And with source mm. control as a source of truth, instead of orgs that you have to meticulously maintain and handle sign up and handle cleanup on, it's just an order of magnitude easier than it used to be back in the day. I remember yeah. people I worked with writing incredibly complex metadata API clients that would try and list everything in the org and generate a destructive change manifest so that it could cl- reset the org back to baseline. <laughs> you don't have to do any of that anymore. So it's wildly easier. Um, I, I know things have changed a lot, positively. I, I joined Salesforce for about two years. I've seen so many good tools coming up, like a Salesforce CLI, Scratch Org, these things. It was yeah, really they, a game changer. They bring it in line with a lot of more modern development methodology. And, yeah. and I think that it's really nice that I can sit here and not say, use these Salesforce proprietary tools and techniques. Instead, it's use the same tools as good unit testing in any any language. If you're writing mm. Ruby unit tests, you still try and avoid writing to the database. Mm. So it's the fact that I can say, Use an off-the-shelf CI process. And yeah, you're invoking RCLI instead of a different environment sign-up tool. But so what? You're 
your build task is still a build task. It's just using a different implementation. Yep. The interface is still fundamentally the same. So a good CI cycle where you reset environments and run tests every day is so much easier. And that's the best practice everywhere. So increasingly, as we come in line with these, I'm the wrong person to talk to because there are unit testing experts across the whole industry. And the more of their wisdom applies to Apex, the better. Because, mm. But still, you know, one of the things is that the Apex doesn't have a really good mocking library. Uh, one of the good ones is the FFLERP, right? It has yeah. uh, mimic the Java, uh, was it Mosquito or what was the name? Yeah, it's the, based off Mosquito. Okay, yeah. So so what, what's your word here? Do we have a plan to improve the mocking part as well? Yes. So there are limits to the stub API, which is what it actually uses. So mm -hmm. the, FF, the FF mocks um, and the underlying stub API that it uses in Apex are kind of joined at the hip. So Apex built a, a API to generate mocked subclasses of classes that aren't virtual. Mm -hmm. Because before that, it was using code generation to try and create new classes that it could use as the mocks. And mm -hmm. code gen as part of your build step is really a, a large amount of overhead. It adds extra code to your org and to your package. It wasn't the right way to do it to make it scale. So mm -hmm. the Apex team built the stub API, which is what they use now for generate mock objects. Okay. But it does have some constraints. Um, I believe it doesn't work on inner classes today. There's some system types it doesn't work on, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I would love to prioritize those. I have one problem there, which is you are the first person who's mentioned it to me in the last year. <laughs> okay. If okay. everybody piles on and tells me that better Apex mocks are what they need right now, you bet I'm going to take all those quotes, I'm going to put them into a presentation, and I'm going to say this is this has now risen high up on our roadmap. Yeah, I have thousands of listeners. I will ask them to, to shoot your message soon. <laughs> I, legitimately, one of the things that that you know, I always believed that it would be true, but it shocked me how much true how true it was. Was is just how much customer quotes impact decisions at Salesforce. If you're going to make an executive presentation and you don't have two or three quotes from customers who are really invested in the ecosystem, it's going to be dramatically less imp impactful than if you did. So a quote from me in my own presentation is 10% as good as a quote from you or your listeners. And it very materially does impact the roadmap when we hear over and over again that something's a problem. Mm. We heard security was a problem over and over again. We went to, I went to partner security conferences. I talked to the AppExchange security team. Every time I talked to a partner at Dreamforce or even anywhere else, the first thing was, when are we going to fix FLS and CRUD checks? And... <laughs> When I hear it every time, and my executives hear it every time, when I put that at the top of my roadmap above shiny new feature X, we're going to invest in infrastructure that doesn't have a big marketing impact but makes the lives of our customers better, hmm. that's awesome. But I need to prove that last part of the sentence, makes the lives of our customers better. Prove that Better mocks is the thing that I can put there and say, this is the quality of life improvement we need to make our customers happy. So it's not just me saying, yeah, my gut feel says it's about right. <laughs> All right. Um, before I let you go, I want to take the time to ask a, a question, which is a timing question. It's about the Spring uh, 20 feature. One of the features is the Apex Finalizer. 
I know you, you have talked about it, but it's a really interesting feature. Could you tell us what it is about? Yes. So at its most fundamental level, it is a callback when a queuable job finishes. And Only for that could be success or failure. So it is limited to queuable right now. Oh, I okay. would like to expand where it rolls out to, but certain contexts are more challenging than others. Lightning controllers, for example, because they're compounding multiple actions together, adding extra overhead there could have material performance consequences. So we're, we need to tread carefully. So it's, it's not a no that we're not going to expand it to other places. It's that queuable was the easiest place where there was the least amount of concerns. And I thought the most need for it because a queuable job can't really convey specific information about its failure conditions other than by throwing an unhandled exception. And then you get 255 characters of the message in async apex job. That's not really a good enough level of fidelity. And you also have to enqueue something else to look at the queuable status to note that it failed. And mm. so we wanted to do something that increased the robustness of queuables, which is why we decided to make it a callback when the queuable either succeeds or fails. So if the queuable job gacks even, the finalizer will still run. Oh. Uh, and so self-retry was something that you couldn't really do with queuables unless you had a scheduled job that was a watchdog that tried to watch for failures and re-enqueue. Hmm. With a transaction finalizer, you can re-enqueue the queuable job that failed as a retry mechanism if it was a transient failure. If you hit a timeout in a remote API, retry it three times and see what happens. Um, it also works really well for logging because the way the finalizer works is you create your own class that implements the finalizer interface. Mm -hmm. And then you call one method system attach finalizer, which says this is the callback for this transaction. But it doesn't serialize the state of the finalizer as you call that method. It just marks that object in memory as the callback. And you can mutate the state of your finalizer throughout the entirety of the queuable execution. And the state of that finalizer is then brought into the new finalizer context where it runs. So what that means in a, a more concrete example is you could create a list of strings on your finalizer. And as your queuable is running, continually append new log strings to that. So I'm about to make a call out at X seconds into the queuable execution. I've made the call out. The result was success. It took 23 seconds. A queuable job has now completed. All strings into this buffer. And then when the queuable job completes, at that point, the finalizer is serialized. We use our binary serializer, the same one we use for like queuable job state itself. The queuable job context is closed. So we either commit or rollback on the database side. We get rid of the apex context, which means all of your static variables and all of your limits go away. Then we create a brand new apex context and a new database context and deserialize your finalizer into it. So whatever your finalizer state was ends up being its state in the finalizer when it runs. You mentioned even if the execution gags, still the finalizer will be kicked. Yeah, because if you want to do a retry, we need it to work on unhandled exception. We need it to work on limit exception. We need it to work on gag. Hmm. Now there, okay. there are certain gags that are so fatal, like you know, the database crashed that we can't recover from, but those are few and far between compared to a null pointer exception in some Java code that can either be retried or logged or something like that, depending on what your needs are. Hmm. Uh, and it also, it, it has other use cases too. Like you can't mix setup and non-setup DML operations in the same database operation. Uh, 
So by virtue of the finalizer execution and being a clean database context that doesn't have anything already written on it because your parent queuable job is either completed or rolled back, you could do data DML in your queuable and set up DML in your finalizer. I had this issue for the user object. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, now you don't have to enqueue another queuable. You can just clean up the final, final state. You know, I, I've reparented the ownership of all these records, and now I need to add a group member to properly do the sharing recalculation. Cool. It's a queuable and a finalizer, so it's still one request. It still is one thing, and you don't have this orchestration challenge that you might otherwise. Cool. They were built to be really low level, so Kevin Poorman, who's a developer evangelist, has already updated his promises library to use queuables or to use finalizers so that when you have a promise in your queuable chain fail, it can properly re retain that state. Mm. Uh, and so I'm hoping that there will be more open source frameworks, going back to our earlier conversation, using the finalizer interface to do things that were desired but hard to do in a framework level before. Mm -hmm. So a logging framework, a retry framework, a promises layer of abstraction on top of queuables, etc. I'm hoping we'll have that type of framework around it as open source tools that can be pulling mm. your project. More Indeed. so than I'm hoping people use finalizers directly because I think it does fit itself better as a feature that enables new types of frameworks than it does mm. as something that you're interacting with directly yourself all the time. Which is a lot like the Stub API and FF Mocks. Mm. Or Apex yeah, Mocks. for you and for your team, you're building the Lego pieces, and it's up to the communities to really how to use them in the creative ways, right? You have seen this yeah. multiple times before already. Well, and, and the other thing is, performance is part of the API contract for the Apex Standard Library, and so there's a lot of places where I'd love to go and add extra functionality to something that exists today. But if I do that, I probably break somebody. And I also can't really take pull requests from the community into the Apex standard library the same way as an open source project yeah. could. And so I think our time with a finite capacity is spent better building new foundational APIs that can be utilized effectively mm -hmm. in multiple ways rather than trying to build overly prescriptive frameworks. And I do realize that per your original, your earlier point, we're going to need to work on making it easier to pull in open source libraries to make that model really scale up. Yeah, and but I think and it's also for having a healthy community. Yeah, and also I remember you mentioned that you are also one of the open source library contributor, but I still want Salesforce give more incentives to the open source library. I don't know whether money wise or whatever effort wise or MVP titles whatever. Yeah, for the definitely. Open I did just uh, somebody from the community team reached out to me to ask how substantial an open source contribution was when they were reviewing MVP nominations. So I, I think that maybe more of that is already happening than, than you realize, but okay, true. Um, actually, somebody on my team just yesterday opened a pull request to the PMD tool to try and add support for the with security enforced clause to one of the security rules that's there. Okay, I will ask Robert about this. It's, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's seen it yet because we just opened it yesterday and there was a test failure that we had to fix. But yeah. at the end of the day, yes, we need to do more on that front. We're limited on how much we can do ourselves, and so mm. I'm most interested in making it so that open source tools have the support they need. Like getting yeah. Apex Apex language server support into PMD was something mm. that required an engineer at Salesforce to help with. Okay. Because there isn't right. a lot of documentation around it, so 
it needed help that only we could give for that initial push to make it an integrated feature. And then mm -hmm. after that, Robert has done an absolutely wonderful job helping maintain and curate the list of rules, some of which have come from Salesforce in terms of the product security group contributing some. I think this is the second minor rule change that's come from the Apex team. So my goal is to keep contributing, but especially focus on the areas that only we can do something to help and empower the community in that way and make us available Excellent. for the parts where we have a unique capability to help more so than others. Thanks, Chris. I think yeah. this is excellent point for us to round up. Wonderful. Great. Hi, I'm constantly looking for good guests. If you have any guest recommendation, please reach me out. I'll make sure they are joining to the show to share their knowledge. Otherwise, thanks for listening to the show. I'll see you next Thursday. Thursday.